Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. My name is Claire Lehman and I am Editor-in-Chief of Quillette. Quillette is where free thought lives. We are an independent grassroots platform for heterodox ideas and fearless commentary. Our podcast is a team effort and is jointly hosted by myself, Associate Editor Toby Young and Canadian Editor Jonathan Kay. You can support our podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash Quillette and becoming a monthly patron. By becoming a monthly patron, you'll also receive our weekly newsletter. Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. I'm Jonathan Kay. Many Quillette Podcast listeners will be familiar with the name Jonathan Haidt, the NYU social psychologist who rose to international prominence following the publication of his Atlantic Magazine article and then book titled The Coddling of the American Mind, co-authored with Greg Lukianoff. When Prospect Magazine recently profiled him as part of their list of the world's top 50 thinkers, they wrote, quote, He riles left-wing campus activists, telling them that feelings can lead you astray. He refuses to divide people into angels and demons. There's good and bad in everyone. That should be a truism, but in today's United States, it can be controversial. End quote. He is also the board chair of Heterodox Academy, a nonpartisan collaborative of academics committed to viewpoint diversity. In June, I attended Heterodox Academy's second annual conference in Manhattan, where Professor Haight had assembled an impressive list of speakers, from David Brooks of the New York Times, to Steven Pinker of Harvard University, to Quillette's own Coleman Hughes. The conference was so interesting, in fact, that I'm devoting this podcast episode to a sort of highlight reel that I've selected from the material presented at the conference. Over the next 15 minutes or so, you're going to hear from the following speakers. The aforementioned Harvard professor, Steven Pinker, talking about fake news and the problem of so-called pluralistic ignorance. Comedian-turned-consultant, Carith Foster, CEO and founder of the group Frame. Then Jennifer Collins Bloomquist, Dean of Social Sciences at Gettysburg College in Pennsylvania. Next will be Dan Mogoloff, Assistant Vice-Chancellor at UC Berkeley. Lara Schwartz, Director of the American University Project on Civil Discourse. Then Brandon Calhoun, a student at Lynn Benton Community College in Oregon. And finally, Quillette columnist Coleman Hughes, a student at Columbia University. And don't worry, I'll be repeating these names at the end, in case you forget. I should also warn listeners that this audio was captured from the audience, so this isn't studio-quality material. That said, please enjoy these highlights of the 2019 Heterodox Academy Conference in New York City. So, first off... We are not living in a post-truth era. Why, why aren't we? Well, is the statement, we are living in a post-truth era, true? <laughs> if so, it cannot be true. That is, we are still evaluating propositions. So we are not in a post-truth era. Likewise, uh, why humans are not irrational. Is the statement, Humans are irrational. Rational. If so, it cannot be true, at least if uttered by a human. <laughs> when it comes to the actual qualifications for the, for the job, studies that actually test how much knowledge people acquire after four years at a university are not a pretty sight. Uh, it is actually rather depressing. I, I say this as a university pr professor to see the results of, uh, of um, uh, exit surveys of what students actually know compared to what they came in with. 
And cynics have uh, suggested that really the, that the reason that um, universities are allowed to credential people is that, in effect, the, um, they are proof that someone has just the cognitive capacity to make it through university if they've acquired the degree and the um, self-discipline. So, um, I mean, one way of thinking about it is that a modern university is a quarter of a million dollar uh, IQ and marshmallow test. <laughs> <laughs> A related phenomenon is uh, what uh, economists sometimes call pluralistic ignorance or a spiral of silence. Namely, when everyone firmly believes that everyone else believes something, but no one may actually believe it. A classic example being binge drinking in uh, college fraternities, where it turns out that very few uh, fraternity boys actually believe that it's cool to drink until you puke and pass out. But they are questioned individually. They are all convinced that every other fraternity brother believes that, even if none of them actually believe it. Uh, Michael Macy, Damon uh, Santola, and uh, I forget Mr. Williams' first name, um, show that this is especially true when you have enforcement, when not only uh, are there beliefs that never get challenged, but people believe people in a group feel that not only must they affirm a belief, but they must punish or condemn or denounce those who don't hold it, often out of the equally mistaken belief that they will be denounced if they fail to denounce. They see denunciation as a sign of uh, loyalty to the group, um, which could lead to a, a cascade of denunciation uh, that can spiral into the, what uh, was called in the 19th century, the ex uh, extraordinary popular delusions and the madness of crowds like uh, witch, witch hunts and various bubbles and uh, minions. Um, the uh, other uh, danger of allowing universities to, to fester in intolerance and uh, dogma and repression is that uh, it can lead to perverse backlashes. Uh, but in, in many ways, the regressive left is an incubator of the alt-right. I've seen this happen, including to my uh, shock in some of my own former students that when they uh, see certain opinions being just unexpressible, when they see student uh, speakers being uh, deplatformed, people being um, assaulted, uh, demonized, um, a natural conclusion is you can't handle the truth. There must be hidden truths that, university, that are just too uncomfortable to be voiced or discussed in universities. And as a result, the, the uh, only option is simply to withdraw into an alternative universe of understanding. And since that alternative universe can have the uh, opposite of the current dogmas, but without any of the qualifications, uh, nuances, counter-evidence uh, context, can often um, uh, metastasize in, in rather uh, destructive forms. So I'll just give you some examples. Was at American University not long ago, and it was for the uh, Young Americans for Liberty, I believe, or no, maybe it was uh, uh, Students for Liberty. And the president of Students for Liberty was best friends with the president of the Black Student Alliance, and he didn't invite him or the group because he was afraid, because I was using humor and talking about diversity, that I was going to offend them. And afterwards, he's like, Oh man, I wish I'd known. I wish I'd known what we were really going to talk about. I should have invited them. I'm like, yeah, but they, people have this idea, you know, diversity or diversity training, thinking they're going to be lectured, talked down to, 
um, either vilified or victimized. And that's why I think it's been done poorly, even though we know the intentions are usually well intended. Um, but that's why we have to reframe how we have these conversations. I feel like sometimes I have to be, I'm almost like a Trojan horse, because I go into schools, because I get invited by the diversity groups or the, you know, certain uh, organizations that want to have a diversity lecture. But then I talk about more than traditional diversity. I talk about diversity of ideas. And, but I feel like that, because if I came in as this free speech advocate, free expression advocate, they would be scared to death of me. Um, so I, it's almost, like I said, a bit of a Trojan horse. So I have to come in and have these discussions and these conversations. And yet, it leaves people just feeling inspired and connected and motivated. And I don't think they expected it, but I, I wish I, there was another way to do it. I don't know that I feel sneaky, like sometimes a little bit yeah, of But it's, it's it, you know, I, I'm curious if there are other ways that you guys can see to do so that we can make it not, you know, free speech is such a controversial term right now. Um, and as soon as people, you say that for free speech, they automatically label you like, uh, you, oh, you're conservative. Actually, no, I'm really, I don't have a label anymore. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm common sense. Um, <laughs> Six years ago, I invited Angela Davis to Gettysburg College to speak, and there were groups on campus that wanted to protest Angela Davis coming to speak. And I said, I want a freedom of expression philosophy that allows for Angela Davis and for Robert Spencer, because like what everyone else is saying, I think that... Um, and I also wanted, uh, I wanted to understand that a freedom of expression philosophy also protects their right to protest. Because that's a really important part of this that I think often is missing. Our world started to change in December 2017 when I began to receive letters, vigilante letters, saying, if you let somebody named Milo Yiannopoulos, and I had no idea who he was at the time, if you let him come onto the campus, we will be forced to take matters into our own hands. And so we came out and we made some very clear public statements that, you know, based on the First Amendment, that he had every right to come and to support the sort of this his views were he would be coming to campus, and I started. And it turned out that my name was posted to an anarchist website. <laughs> and lucky me. Um, and I started to get all kinds of phone calls. And I'll get share a couple of stories. One came from a member of faculty screaming at me, how can you defend this man's right to come to campus? And I said, I'm sorry, Professor, he's covered by the First Amendment. No, she screamed at me. He is not. And I said, interesting, why do you think that? She said, because he's wrong. <laughs> Tenured member of faculty. Next day I get a call. Girls in tears, one of our students. Mr. Mogolov, she says, how can you allow this man to come? I am a transgender undocumented student. I'm going to go to his session, and what he's going to say is going to destroy me. And my first thought was, maybe you shouldn't go. <laughs> but I miss something as a white male. I miss something as a white male. Um, I mean, let's remember, we have, while the First Amendment is pretty clearly understood, there are many laws that do say that speech can be harmful. Think about laws around sexual harassment. The very idea that we were allowing somebody to come onto our campus who would engage in assault of rhetoric the sort of which would get a student bounced out of, certainly out of the high school she came from, 
She couldn't understand it. And who am I to judge that? Who are we to know what that lived experience has been? Finally, last thing. We talk a lot about diversity of perspective, but we don't talk about diversity of objective. I really wish the Constitution paid some attention to the diverse motives of speakers. Milo Yiannopoulos came to our campus not to engage. He came to provoke. He came to create fodder for his social media channels and to increase his income. No doubt about it. Ben Shapiro came to our campus to engage. We were the happy hunting ground for him. He engaged and I, he did something beautiful in his speech when he talked to students. At the end, he said, who disagrees with me? Bunch of handshakers. I want you all first in line. And there wasn't a single problem. No rides, no fuss. One thing that I've learned is in talking about shared vocabulary, um, bias. Um, in today's sort of uh, media environment, um, everyone's an expert, but no one's an expert. The term bias does not mean the same things to my students, it turns out, um, that it meant to me. And as I've unpacked it in almost every class that I teach, I've tried to find out from them what they think bias means. And they actually believe, it seems, that all conclusions, all inclinations that a person might have constitute bias. So we do an exercise where you're supposed to be deciding who would be good um, witnesses for a hearing on um, a minimum wage increase in some town. And it turns out that by the standard of what they think bias might mean, um, a Nobel-winning economist who has written and said, yes, you know, minimum, raising the minimum wage will do a few good things based on my decades of study, he is biased, right? That is bias, as opposed to an opinion, as opposed to having drawn a conclusion or having expertise. If someone is not neutral, they are biased. And it's a really, I do feel it's an outgrowth of, of, of the kind of uh, media where, you know, oh, am I watching Rachel Maddow, or am I watching Sean Hannity, or you could read a newspaper. Um, would be good. Yes, yes, you can. Hello, everyone. I'm Brandon Calhoun. I'm the current president of the Lynn Bent Community College chapter, uh, Bridge USA. Uh, right now, we are a civil discourse club. This is how we started out. Uh, so a little background information on me. I grew up in a rural town in Southern Oregon, uh, very conservative. Yeah, I'm a Trump supporter, please don't throw anything at me. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, growing up, I, I lived in an echo chamber. I was in a, a very tight-knit con conservative community. And I mean, I was an 18-year-old. Who was really involved in politics at 18? I wasn't going out and seeking what my truth is. Uh, before I came to college, my father told me one thing, one thing, oh, don't be a turncoat. Keep your, head down. Keep your head down. There was true fear in my conservative community coming up here that you would be attacked by the left. There's crazy liberals everywhere. And so I did just that. As soon as I stepped foot on Lindbent Community College, I kept my head down. And then I realized my dad was completely wrong. Um, and from there, I decided to learn more about myself and get more involved in politics. Uh, this all didn't happen until an artwork controversy that occurred on our campus about a year and a half ago. Uh, it was. Uh, to be blunt, it was two men having sex that was very explicit and drew a lot of attention to it on one of our most main halls. And so, a little background on Lynn Benton Community College. Lynn Benton. Lynn is very red and Benton is very blue. And so we had a huge, huge division within our community, but no one was talking with one another. And so me and my buddy Anthony Lusardi over there, uh, we walked past and we decided, hey, we want to have a discussion. And we were in a 
debate class together. And from there, we, did, we decided to test this uh, artwork out, see how it would fare well in the classroom. It went extremely well, and then from there, we decided to open it up to the campus. Our whole idea was to create a debate that did not create a winner or a loser, but simply get those ideas out that were not being talked about. So what we did is we created two sides. Uh, one group decided to grab uh, arguments from the liberals, and the other group decided to grab arguments from the conservatives. And here we just want to put it all in the playing field for our college community to listen to. And from there, that's, that's where I truly got involved. And, uh, I guess I want to address my comments mainly to the students. I want to suggest that we should act as if no one is coming to save us on this issue. There, there, there is a heterodox academy, there's FIRE, there's a few other organizations doing this work, but we are the ones on campus, and almost by definition, we are the ones that have the ability to influence this problem in a more direct way. So, um, on, uh, I just, uh, I'm on the board of a club called Colloquia at Columbia, and I've never been a joiner in my life. I've always, I've always taken some perhaps irrational pride in not joining clubs. I don't know what that says about me, but I guess that's for me and my therapist to sort of. But this, this is a club that I wholeheartedly love. Every Friday, we get together in a room, we take one topic, sometimes it's controversial and political, we'll do gun control or abortion or whatever, and, or, and sometimes it's just a topic like love or religion. I, I suppose religion is somewhat controversial <laughs> as well. But we split the room into two, and you have to argue one side of the proposition, and then halfway through, we switch, and you argue the other. And then at the end, we just talk about what we learned from being forced to argue both sides of the case, and it is absolutely my favorite thing to do. I love being forced to argue something that I disagree with, and really getting in character fully to feel what it would feel like to believe this. So um, what we found... Um, is that too much? Is that... Um, so what we found... Uh, in doing this exercise, it started out like five or ten people, and now the room is overflowing every, every Friday. The demand for this has absolutely skyrocketed. Many people who didn't know that they wanted this on campus didn't know that they weren't really getting it in many of their classes, unfortunately. Not all. They, they, you do get it in some classes, but it's, you know, those classes are few and far between and too contingent on the quality of the specific professor, which varies extremely widely. The crucial thing to remember when you do that is that it is very, very, very easy to lapse into a war-like mindset. And that is the number one mistake that you can't make as a student group. It is not about battling with the clubs on campus that you feel are dogmatic with your own dogmas. Thanks for listening, and once again, those voices you heard were from Harvard professor Steven Pinker, comedian-turned-consultant Carith Foster, Jennifer Collins Bloomquist of Gettysburg College, Dan Mogoloff of UC Berkeley, Lara Schwartz of American University, Brandon Calhoun of Lynn Benton Community College in Oregon, 
and Coleman Hughes of Columbia and Quillette. And for more information about Heterodox Academy, including next year's conference, please visit heterodoxacademy.org. Thanks for listening. If you would like to support Quillette, please consider becoming a patron. Head to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Quillette. If you haven't already, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Do you like what you're hearing? Perhaps you would like to read more about the issues in today's discussion. Head to quillette.com where you will find more content.